You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. This week, I'm welcoming back Dr. David Feld to talk about the SOAS Center of Taiwan Studies at the University of London. Dr. Feld is the director of the center, and they just had their summer program in July, which is free and open to the public. It's a tremendous resource for people interested in learning more about Taiwan. The program included speakers on the topics of Taiwan's anti-nuclear movement, environmental activism and movements, Taiwan's post-new wave cinema, how to write about Taiwan for a general audience, and the campaign to end the death penalty in Taiwan, just to name a few. You can check out their YouTube channel, which has videos from the summer school programs and other past SOAS Center of Taiwan Studies events. Dr. Feld and I talked about how Taiwan Studies has changed over the past 20 years and some of the challenges faced by Taiwan Studies programs in general. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, yeah, a pleasure to be back on Talking Taiwan. <laughs> yes, it's been so long. <laughs> really excited to talk to you about the SOAS Taiwan Studies program. It's quite well known, and I was wondering if we could talk about like how it was established. I understand that it was established in 1999. So just curious about its establishment, and then at that time, how many other Taiwan Studies programs were there in existence? In a way, I was quite lucky that I'd been living in Taiwan for most of the 1990s. And then I came back to the UK in the summer of 1999. So just as the Taiwan Studies program at SOAS was being uh, established, I didn't actually realize that. I mean, I knew that SOAS was probably the best place to study Taiwan in the UK. So that was part of my reason for coming back. But at that point in time, the late 1990s, there really wasn't a Taiwan Studies field in Europe. So there were no other Taiwan Studies programs in Europe. In many ways, the U.S. was well ahead of us when it came to Taiwan Studies. So, for example, at that point, uh, the North American Taiwan Studies Association had already been running their conferences since, uh, I think, about 1993. There was a group called the Conference Group on Taiwan Studies that had panels in the American Political Science Association conference that was held annually. And there was a very good book series by Emmy Sharp on Taiwan that had been going since the late 1980s. So in, in Europe, we were very envious of Taiwan studies in the US. And uh, my early Taiwan studies conferences were all at NAPSA, the North America Taiwan Studies mm. Conference. I, I started going to those conferences even before I started my PhD. And and I think quite a lot of other European Taiwan Studies scholars had a similar feeling that we wanted to try and see, could we bring this American Taiwan Studies experience over to Europe? Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, I was able to, to do a little bit uh, later on. But back to the founding of the, of the Taiwan Studies program at SOAS, um, it started off very small scale. And I think they had a conference in the first year, and occasional events. They started their first uh, Taiwan Studies module in the second year in 2000 to 2001. Uh, so that meant I could join that class as, as a PhD student. Uh, so it, it started off very, very small for the first few uh, years, but then gradually has uh, expanded uh, since. So I still don't actually know the real story about how it got started. And the, uh, the guy who founded it, uh, Robert Ash has never told me the exact story. Oh, no, we can't get the scoop here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was kind of like an observer 
in those first few years as a student. Mm -hmm. And then I joined as a postdoc to work with Robert Ash in 2003, just mm -hmm. after I finished my PhD. So from 2003, then I was much more involved in the running of the program. So then uh, I worked together with Professor Ash. And from then, I think the program really started to become more active. Great. So since then uh, to present time, there are probably more Taiwan Studies programs. Like, Do you know approximately how many there are in existence now? I would say that the Taiwan Studies field is very, very vibrant. I think it's best to comment mainly on the European side. We created the European Association of Taiwan Studies in 2003. We've run an annual conference since, 2000, sorry, since 2004, but following a very similar model to the NATSA North American Taiwan Studies Conference. And I think that's been very, very successful at bringing us all together. Uh, so bringing the people who are working on, on Taiwan in different European countries and universities And then each year we go to a different European country to hold that conference as a way of kind of trying to build up Taiwan studies in different countries. So, for example, we've held the conference in Denmark, Sweden, Czech Republic twice, Poland, Slovenia, Italy, Spain, uh, France, UK twice, Czech Republic twice. I'm trying to think if I've missed uh, Germany, I think, yeah, twice. So in that respect... Uh, we, the, the continent-wide organization is very strong. And then we have quite a large number of programs at different European universities. So, for example, in the UK, we have Taiwan Studies at SOAS, Nottingham, Central Lancashire. Germany has three Taiwan Studies centers. Uh, they have one in Vienna, in Austria, in Slovenia, and at uh, Zurich. And we also have a number of Taiwan Studies book series. There's the one that I edit at Routledge. There's a new one at Brill that just was just established this year. Uh, Camphor Press is also based in, uh, in the UK now. And if you haven't interviewed Michael Cannings, I would definitely encourage you to uh, interview him. He's a really amazing guy in terms of the work he's doing. So uh, this has led me to talk about this idea that we're in a golden age of Taiwan studies mm -hmm. uh, because of the way the, the field is developing. We also have, now have an international journal of Taiwan studies that one of my friends is editing, and I'm, I help a little bit on that uh, journal. And of course, we've run the three world congresses of Taiwan studies, with two held in Taiwan And, and one held uh, in London. So I think there've never been so many active Taiwan centers in Europe. If you could think about, there was nothing when I came back in 1999. Now we have something like 12 or 13 active programs. Uh, of course, some programs will come and go. So for example, programs at Oxford and Cambridge have appeared and then disappeared. Uh, some uh, like Bochum emerged, went quiet and now are active again. So um, I would say it's it's a great time for doing Taiwan studies, particularly out in Europe. I, I'm really quite excited about the state of the field. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I was thinking about before we had this interview, I recall um, one of my friends who I won't mention where she graduated from, but she did some kind of dissertation related to Taiwan probably about 20 years ago or so. And she had a really hard time with her advisor because her advisor really didn't understand Taiwan because at the university she went to, typically there isn't like a Taiwan studies or a Taiwan specialist. Uh, a lot of the advisors or um, academics will be more China focused. So it was interesting for me to reflect on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's often a challenge. I think that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of American scholars quite enjoy coming over to Europe 
that kind of sense of community that we've been able to build up over the last couple of decades, I think is really quite exciting. Maybe because Taiwan Studies in Europe is a little bit newer than the US. So it's been maybe easier for us to kind of concentrate us and bring us all together. While in the US, you kind of have a longer history of Taiwan Studies. I mean, um, I think there's still, I'm still very excited about Taiwan Studies in the US. And I think maybe we can touch upon that a little bit later. But for example, I did go back to NASA again this year, even though it's online for the first time in quite a few years. And I think it's an amazing organization that's had a really good impact on the field. And I have kind of worked together with um, the University of Texas at Austin's. They also have a Taiwan Studies teaching program that we've published together talking about our experiences of trying to develop Taiwan Studies teaching program, which is not a simple thing because often Taiwan Studies is seen as quite a niche uh, topic. And university administrators often want to cut niche topics. So we have to find strategies to survive. What do you think it is that makes SOAS Taiwan Studies one of the leading centers for Taiwan Studies? Yeah, as I mentioned, doing Taiwan Studies is quite challenging for a number of reasons. And I think you have to kind of think strategically. I think that what we've done is to to try and focus on a number of key things. Basically, I would say this applies since we were first established. And these running academic events, promoting Taiwan Studies publications and teaching. And I would say that most Taiwan Studies programs around the world definitely focus on events, conferences, seminars. But I think the the focus on teaching is one of the things that makes us a bit different. Because we've had Taiwan Studies teaching programs now since, well, yeah, well over uh, 20 uh, years, and we've been able to gradually expand uh, the number of modules that we offer. So I think that is a very kind of important distinguishing point. The fact that we have uh, a degree in Taiwan Studies, and we've been able to kind of establish the courses and keep them going. So one of the things I found with my work with my colleague at uh, University of Texas at Austin was that often they weren't able to run regular modules on Taiwan. They would run for a year and then a different one would run. Well, basically what tends to happen is we establish a module and it goes for 10 years every year. Um, the other thing we've really been trying to push Taiwan Studies publications, often these books will be things that come out of our conferences. For example, we published a book called Taiwan Studies Revisited, where, which was based on our lecture series and also some panels on the World Congress of Taiwan Studies that was held in 2015, in which scholars talk about their old books that they published 10 years ago on Taiwan and how they feel about these books uh, 10 years later. So ideally, when we set up a conference, the idea is that it will eventually uh, lead to a book. For example, the the book that came out, uh, let me see, in July was called Taiwan's Contemporary Indigenous Peoples, which was a project that we've been looking at uh, modern issues facing Taiwan's indigenous peoples through the lens of things like voting behavior, literature, film, documentaries. So we held uh, a series of lectures on this topic over a two-year period, and then the uh, the book came out and then came out in July. So one of the ways we do this is through a book series called the Routledge Research on Taiwan book series that we created in 2009. So we've now published, I think, eight books since uh, then. So that's another thing that kind of, I think, makes us a little bit uh, different. Perhaps having the teaching and pushing uh, Taiwan Studies publications. So the publication field is so lively at the moment in, uh, in Taiwan. When I first started as an undergraduate trying to write a dissertation on Taiwan in 1991, 1992, it was so difficult to find books in English on Taiwan. But nowadays, you're really spoiled for, for choice, particularly if you're at a, um, you have a access to a university library. 
maybe we're not quite so good at mass market books on Taiwan. I think that is an area where maybe we've struggled a little bit. But I think that when it comes to academic publications, then the field of, of Taiwan studies is really, really exciting, not only in terms of books, but also in terms of blogs as well. And of course, podcasts is another really exciting uh, realm. So for our students, there's just so many potential material that they can use. It means that you can study Taiwan to quite a high level without actually reading or speaking Chinese, which again, I think is really exciting. Yeah, definitely. I remember 20 years ago, it was very hard to get information. Like in the beginning of Taiwan's uh, democracy, um, when the direct presidential elections, uh, the first one, it was very hard to get information in English. So it's really interesting to see how, how far we've come. Can you talk about the different degrees or programs and course offerings that SOAS offers? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of gradually expanded the kind of classes that we, uh, that we run. Uh, we started off with a very, very broad module uh, on Taiwan that basically kind of a little bit of everything, a bit of history, a bit of sociology, a bit of politics, a bit of international relations. And then gradually uh, we expanded, did more specialized um, uh, modules. So uh, currently um, we've got a, uh, we have both undergraduate and postgraduate uh, modules um, uh, on Taiwan. Uh, at the postgraduate level, I think we have six uh, Taiwan-focused um, uh, courses. Um, so we have modules on Taiwan film, um, international relations, domestic politics, um, domestic politics. Um, we, we then have uh, comparative politics of Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, comparative political economy of Taiwan, Japan, uh, South Korea. Uh, and then we have not quite so many at the undergrad level, but the, oh yeah, and another one on culture and society in, uh, in Taiwan. At the undergraduate level, I think we have four, so culture and society, Taiwan film, international politics, and domestic uh, politics. Um, so, and if students really want to focus on Taiwan at the postgrad level, then they, uh, we do have an MA in Taiwan studies, which I think we've been running now since 2006. Um, so one thing I should say is that most of our students are not on that MA program. Um, most of our students um, are probably only taking one or two Taiwan modules. Um, maybe they're on a politics um, or Asia degree or on an international politics uh, degree or a film studies um, uh, degree or maybe a a, a Chinese studies degree. They just want to take one uh, class or two classes on uh, on Taiwan. So we have different types of um, uh, of students. But again, I think that's one of the ways that you make uh, Taiwan interesting. Um, in other words, fitting in with that kind of international relations uh, theory and framework. Um, I have a class, my domestic politics of Taiwan class, um, is called Elections, Gender and Social Movements in Taiwan. Um, and those kind of themes, I think, are quite attractive to a lot of my UK students. Um, uh, if, um, if we think about things like same-sex marriage, uh, LGBT rights, that's been something that I think has attracted a lot of our students, or the Sunflower Movement. So telling those kind of really inspiring stories um, I think really is quite um, um, uh, an effective way at catching people's interest. And I think another one is um, um, film studies. 
uh, Taiwanese cinema and documentaries is, is, a, is a really good way of kind of capturing people's um, uh, interest uh, in, in Taiwan. So they're often both popular modules, but I think also popular as uh, events um, uh, as well. So I think for me, I'm really lucky that I can uh, teach the kind of stuff that I uh, research. And I think that is one of the reasons why I think I enjoy uh, teaching so much. And it's really nice kind of finally getting back into the classroom again after um, over a year of online teaching. Yeah, I think that what's um, pretty exciting and unique about the SOAS Taiwan Studies program from what I've seen is how, quote unquote, live or applied and practical the program is, as you're saying, that you can actually teach what you're researching about the Taiwan's political parties. And I think that you have something like 40 to 50 events organized throughout the year featuring like a lot of prominent scholars and researchers and even political figures. Um, so I'm curious, like in the time that you've been at this Taiwan Studies program, what events or individuals um, have been the most memorable? That's a really tough question. I was kind of thinking about that, uh, particularly if, if, if we're talking about um, 20 years of experience and how do I kind of narrow it down? Right. Um, I mean, we've had some amazing speakers. Um, uh, Taiwan, for example, came in 2011 for a small kind of closed door uh, session, the, the year she didn't get elected. Um Min came, I think, in around, maybe it was around 2006. And he'd been a real, um, when I was an undergraduate, I'd read his book, uh, Taste of Freedom. Um, so that was really a special moment to bring him to, um, uh, to SOAS. Um, for the students, I think they really loved that chance to engage with uh, real politicians. Mm-hmm. And often I would say that when we get people who have actually been in politics, but have kind of left politics, um, they are often really interesting. So, for example, um, we had uh, Frank Scheer mm-hmm. um, after he'd, he'd been a presidential candidate. Uh, and that dialogue was really, really interesting. Um, while when Su Juntang, who's currently the prime minister in Taiwan, came, mm-hmm. at that point in time, I think he was um, um, DPP chairperson. So it wasn't such a kind of a lively uh, discussion. Yeah, I'm sure the current position will probably dictate how openly they can speak about things. That's right. Um, but I think it's also quite important to make sure that we have a balance in terms of our speakers. So um, uh, we've had a lot of KMT speakers uh, as well. I think that's something that's quite important for international Taiwan studies, making sure that you're not seen as belonging to one uh, camp, um, particularly because uh, Taiwan is going to have a change of ruling party. Uh, it's part of Taiwan's uh, democracy. So you have to make sure that you're as neutral as, uh, as possible. But kind of coming back to your, your question, um, the first European conference we held, I think was quite a special one. That was held in SOAS in uh, April or March of 2004. I think that was a real landmark event, both for our program, but also for European uh, Taiwan uh, studies. So that would be one that I would single out. Another one was organizing the Second World Congress of Taiwan Studies uh, at, at SOAS. Uh, the first Congress was held in Academia Sinica, in, and so was the, uh, the second uh, one. But Academia Sinica has a very, very strong admin support. While for us, uh, I think we have a part-time, uh, a two-day-a-week admin assistant. Um, and then we have me 
and um, my colleague John uh, Bu. So, so we had to rely a lot on volunteers, oh, wow. student right. volunteers, to make that. It was probably the biggest con- um, Taiwan Studies conference ever held in Europe. Wow! But we were able to kind of pull it off. Uh, we still kind of keep saying to ourselves, "How did we do that?" <laughs> so that was really special. We had something like uh, maybe about eighty speakers um, and an audience, uh, on on-site audience of something like five hundred people. So. We still kind of that was a very special um, experience. Although I wouldn't want to do that, um, um, I think if I was going to do it again, I'd, I'd be a bit kind of nervous. Um, but I think also um, some of the uh, cultural events I think have been really amazing. Bringing in film directors, we've, we've done. Um, for example, I, I'm a big fan of Wanyan's um, uh, films, and bringing him to SOAS, I think it was in 2014. Or, or documentary makers. Um, um, and I think it's really interesting having that engagement about how people make films. Or, or um, we've had some great Taiwanese singers like Lin Sunxian, uh, the, uh, the award-winning hacker singer has, has come and they've talked about not only has he performed, but also talked about his um, creative process. Um, so for me, it's really exciting to kind of get out of my political science kind of ghetto. So by doing Taiwan studies, then I'm engaged, I'm kind of influenced by different disciplines. And for me, I think it really uh, enriches my own uh, political science work. Uh, and it means I can meet such interesting um, people. So I'm not paid to do this Taiwan studies stuff. I mean, I'm paid to teach political science classes, um, but um, it means there's a lot of job satisfaction. I mean, my colleagues sometimes do complain that we organize too many events. Um, you mentioned like 40 to 50, but um, um, pre-pandemic, we were running over 70 events oh, wow. um, a, a year. And even in, since the pandemic, we've been on around, I think about 50, 55 um, events a, a year. So it's pretty tough working um, um uh, at, at the uh, at the centre, so you've got to have a lot of passion to do this kind of um, uh, thing. But there's a lot of um, job satisfaction, and I think it's one of the reasons why scholars really like coming to London uh, because they know they're going to get a really good audience that's quite that's um, that's very knowledgeable. And by doing these kind of events, it means that the students who study Taiwan have a very special study environment uh, because. They're going to meet people that on their reading list. They're going to meet the, the practitioners. But also in these sessions, they also have a chance to network. Uh, and they can meet potential um, employers, for example, in the, from the media. And again, that's, that's one, the one thing that we haven't been able to recreate with online events, that networking, which I think is really um, important. So many interesting discussions take place over uh, crisps, and why mm-hmm. after an event. Right. So then I'm curious, so what have some of your graduates gone on to do? As you mentioned, a lot of these events present interesting networking opportunities, which actually could perhaps lead to job opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I mean, I'm really delighted uh, when I see my students go on and use what they've studied on Taiwan in their kind of future um, academic uh, careers. So I think there's a number of tracks that people have um, have taken. Um, I think quite a lot have actually gone to study Taiwan at a higher level. 
So a fair number of our students have gone on to do PhDs with a Taiwan um, uh, focus. Not necessarily, some have stayed at SOAS, um, others have gone to uh, other universities. For example, one of them is close to finishing at Texas Austin. Um, one is in uh, Sun Yat-sen University in, uh, in, in Kaohsiung. And others have, have finished their degrees and now gone into uh, academic um, uh, life. Um, let me think of one example. Uh, some have gone into politics. So, for example, um, uh, one of my students, my former students, is a KMT legislator. And, and tomorrow um, with, um, he's hosting a book launch of one of my other edited books in Taiwan's parliament. Uh, together with um, one of my uh, other master uh, students. Um, others have gone on to work in um, the diplomatic sector. So, so a couple of my students now work for uh, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs in London um, for, as in the cultural sector, uh, cultural ministry, uh, and also in the um, for Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and another one works in, for Ministry of Foreign Affairs in, in Taiwan. Others have gone on to do stuff in think tanks, for example, Taiwan Foundation for Democracy, um, or think tanks in Japan, and also in, um, uh, in London. So, for example, one of my students just published a, a report uh, for a UK think tank on um, UK-Taiwan relations. So that kind of thing really kind of makes me uh, excited. Uh, when I see my students have um, um, published stuff on, on Taiwan, that, um, so just as um, um, in the hour before your email came in, one of my students sent me an email to say she just published a, a piece in the blog Taiwan Insight. Wonderful. And it was building on something that she'd written as an essay for me, as an undergraduate, um, but she could publish... Um, in this kind of um, uh, setting. Some students have gone to work in the, uh, in the media, for example, places like Taipei Times. Um, uh, one of my students um, went on to study in, in National Taiwan University, but at the same time he worked for uh, Ghost Island Media, uh, which is another really exciting um, uh, podcast. And now he's also um, working part-time for Taiwan Insight which is the Nottingham University's uh, Taiwan Studies uh, blog. And some people will do stuff that has no connection with Taiwan as, as well. But um, I think you, maybe because a lot of my classes are quite small, and they're seminar-style classes, maybe with 12, 15, 20, no more than 20 students, it means we have a lot of interaction, and we also often will stay in touch. Um, so I have wonderful alumni sessions when I go back to uh, Taiwan. Um, I would have had lovely alumni sessions in Hong Kong, but um, um, probably not anymore, sadly. Yeah. Um, so um, it's very, very uh, diverse what people um, do. Um, but probably the biggest track, I think, has been going into academic mm -hmm. life. That, that's uh, when I was kind of looking at the statistics. Um, and again, that can be quite pleasing, the idea that you'll inspire someone to want to take this to another level. Yeah, and then that brings me to another question. Um, what would you say are some of the major research contributions that have come out of the SOAS Taiwan Studies program? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two ways of answering that question. When one of them would be the kind of research that the core people 
within the Taiwan study program uh, published, uh, like, for example, um, uh, my Green Party's book, which we've talked about on one of your other uh, podcasts, um, my second book, which was a, um, a textbook on Taiwan's government and politics, which I use and is used extensively in, um, uh, in my teaching. Um, but I suppose the other element of uh, your question is the, the books that we've published that have come out of our conferences or our uh, lecture series. And um, I think we've probably got something like um, uh, 10 books or special editions that have come out of, um, of our conferences or lecture series. So I think that is very, very important. Um, making sure that when you do these kind of events, that they have some kind of um, uh, long-term impact. Putting together an edited volume is quite a different skill to writing a, a research book like the, the Green Parties. And it's something that I've kind of devoted quite a lot of my time to. Um, and it's, it's, it can be really enjoyable. Uh, for example, if we take the uh, Taiwan Contemporary Indigenous People book that came out in, um, uh, in July, uh, that involved working with people from literature, film studies, documentaries, uh, geography, um, ethnic um, uh, studies. Um, and it, it means editing chapters. It means nagging people. Um, um, nobody told me before I started academic life how important nagging would be. <laughs> uh, and if you don't nag, you'll never publish an edited um, uh, volume because people will always miss their um, uh, deadlines. But I've probably done, um, I've done a, quite a lot of these kind of um, uh, edited uh, volumes. And I probably need to take a break from uh, those, partly because I so enjoyed uh, writing a single authored mm. uh, book. Um, so, but I think, but I, the other thing I should mention is that the, the Taiwan Study Center is, is based on teamwork. And there's, there's a, a group of about, I would say we probably have about three or four very active people who work together, as well as others that are kind of on the, um, on the boundaries of the, uh, of the centre. So we have a core group, quite a small group. Um, uh, John Biu is, is my kind of co-director, who's, who's someone who works on things like uh, textbook analysis, cultural policy, um, um, cultural geography, those kind of uh, topics. And so from a quite a different angle to me, then we have another scholar who works on legal issues or constitutional issues, um, we had a scholar who worked on uh, Hokkien, uh, on Taiyu, and he published a textbook on, um, uh, on, on Taiyu. So, um, so that's another kind of, of contribution. Um, I suppose that's another thing that I should have mentioned, that um, although we, we, we've got um, the number of students on our classes and the number of our courses, I think it's pretty impressive. Uh, and we had our best year, uh, this current academic year in terms of number of students but um, often we have had to close classes sometimes it's because uh, academics have retired and we couldn't get replacements or maybe the departments weren't supportive enough but I think that is a, a, a challenge that we have to face so for example we, we ran a Hokkien a Taiyu class for um, about 10 years but as soon as that professor retired then there was no we couldn't persuade that, that department to keep it going. And I think that is a common challenge yeah. for 
a lot of Taiwan centers. That's interesting. That's a shame. I don't know how many of these uh, lectures or teachings could be recorded somehow, and maybe perhaps there they could be another way of continuing the teaching going forward. It's, it's, that's an interesting thing to consider. I also heard that relatively recently there was a five million dollar gift donated to the University of California in San Diego to establish a new Taiwan Studies program there.、Um, I'm curious to know what you think about that because I have no idea. Like. Is that enough money to get a program started? Is that more than enough? And I'm also curious about Soaz's establishment. Although you don't have the complete story, I'm really curious. Maybe one day we can find out what the real story of how Soaz got established. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the differences between Taiwan studies in the U.S. and and Taiwan studies in in Europe. I think in the U.S., Sen has been much more successful. Gaining these kind of big endowments, um, um, and often these endowments have been coming from、uh, the Taiwanese community in the U.S.、Um, maybe because our、uh, Taiwanese community in Europe is smaller、um, and hasn't been so established.、Um, that's something that we haven't really managed to do.、Um, we've tended to be much more reliant on. Um, short-term government funding, often in three-year、um, uh, funding projects. So sometimes、uh, that has been one of the reasons for、um, why projects haven't been、uh, maintained. But I would say actually, probably it's more to do with、uh, people leaving.、Uh, so often、uh, the success of Taiwan Studies programs is often down to one or two very enthusiastic people. Uh, and enthusiastic people can do a lot,、uh, as we can see from from your、uh, your podcast. But I think in the、um, uh, in the US, I've been quite impressed with the way things seem to have been going over the last few years. There was a period of time when there was a little bit of pessimism about the state of Taiwan studies in the US. I remember one of the big US scholars came to、uh, our European conference, I think in two thousand and nine, and was talking about the、um, the death of Taiwan studies. Uh, based on his experiences in in the U.S.,、wow. um, but I think that、um, the news in recent years has been quite positive. So, for example, you mentioned San Diego, and San Diego had an earlier、uh, donation as well. I think about ten years ago,、uh, Washington has had a really is doing some really exciting stuff. So is Alberta in、um, uh, in Canada. I think Harvard seems to be going. Um, uh, has seemed to have got a donation、um, as well. UCLA, I think, has re- recently received a big um, uh, donation. Um, so probably, I would say that European universities should try harder, perhaps,、um, to look for、um, uh, this kind of endowment funding. I, I've、uh, we've tried, but I don't think we've been very、uh, successful. In, in some respects, we also have to. Uh, U- UK universities, particularly, are quite reliant on tuition fees.、Mm-hmm. So whether or not our courses run really depends on whether we have enough、uh, students.、Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of your question was uh, uh, whether that five million would be enough. I think it would be. <laughs> so I'm, I think that they could do a lot.、Uh, so I'm very excited to see what's going to、um, uh, happen there. Because、um, I think there's definitely a lot of、um, uh, potential, but I think it is also it's also quite interesting to see that、um, we haven't really seen Taiwan studies degrees develop in the U.S. 
There is there is one in at University of Texas at Austin, um, but it's been a bit hit and miss. I think will that happen in the, these other uh, cases? And I think another question is whether a Taiwan Studies degree is is so important. Uh, because I think, as I mentioned, most of our students aren't doing the degree. They're, they're taking individual uh, modules. But I think the possibility of doing an overall program um, is uh, quite exciting. But there's always that, that question, will a program survive? Um, for example, when a major figure retires, will it collapse? And, and I think we have seen uh, uh, that's often the reason why programs uh, do tend to kind of disappear. Because I think generally um, um, the Taiwanese funding is quite consistent if you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. um, if you're giving value for money in terms of what you do, um, some, I would say that sometimes universities are trying to take advantage of Taiwan. Um, uh, in other words, maybe they're trying to gain funding to do, let's say, uh, China studies with no Taiwan focus. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and I, I think in that kind of situation, I think Taiwanese funders need to be a little bit cautious. Right. But if I mean, if I look at the um, the people who work on Taiwan in the in Europe, uh, I would say a lot of us are actually in um, China studies departments, uh, um, and so there's a possibility of um, uh, the growth of China studies benefiting Taiwan. Uh, often, what happens is that people who teach uh, on China, but their res main research continues to be Taiwan. I think, that, and I think that's, hmm. uh, that's okay. Well, there's another type of people like myself who are in a disciplinary department, like uh, political science, and use that way of um, doing Taiwan. And I think that, that also um, uh, can work pretty well. Oh, and in addition to the question that I had asked you about the different degrees and programs, you do have some other programs that you run throughout the year. And um, notably, you have this um, summer program, which is actually open to the public, right? Yes. Um, I mean, most of our uh, events are, are open events. Uh, we've, we've always thought that was something quite um, uh, important. Um, and I think it's partly because that helps with networking for students. So a lot of your events, um, like even throughout the year, are open to the public? Yeah, I would say something like 90% uh, of our events are, are public um, uh, events. It's only occasionally we want to do closed-door events. Uh, often it's when we have practitioners in. Then sometimes we'll design events just for the students. But to a large extent, it, there'll be open events. Like you mentioned, the summer school, which we've run since 2007, which is a really fun event that we normally run at the end of the academic uh, year. Um, and often it's a chance for us to kind of get speakers who we like. Maybe we like their work um, and we really want to kind of have an excuse to kind of uh, hear about their research and, and to let our students get exposed to them. Um, and we also have sessions where the students present their research in the summer school. Uh, but students from other universities uh, will come and um, and join as, as well. So I think looking ahead, I think one of the big challenges we have now is because we've run events online for the uh, last, what is it, about 16 months, what are we going to do next? How do we manage events that run for both an on-site audience but also for an online uh, audience? Um, I mean, it's the same with teaching. It's another 
a similar kind of challenge there. But I'm still not sure uh, how we're going to manage that because I think the way you run an online event is quite different from a uh, on-campus event. Yeah. Particularly live interaction is quite difficult to recreate. So meaning that if you have a live event and you also run it concurrently as an online event, how do you manage catering to those two audiences? Yeah, I'm still not sure. Yeah. I mean, I have been um, in the last eight weeks, I have been going back on campus and doing small dissertation groups um, where I have students on campus, I have students um, uh, online and some of the speakers uh, online. And it's worked okay, um, but I'm not entirely sure how well it will work with a big um, uh, group because um, I mean, one of the things we have found is that with some of these online events we have had pretty large audiences right. like the summer school I'm sure. um, we had something like five six hundred registered participants wow, incredible. Um, which is very difficult to get that kind of audience um, well actually uh, um, we couldn't fit that <laughs> number into any, the biggest rooms at SOAS because actually we have most of SOAS is quite yeah. small um, uh, uh, room. So that is a challenge. And I think it's also going to be a challenge for teaching mm-hmm. as well, because I think some students, I think, are going to be reluctant to come to London um, in, the, in this uh, first uh, term. Okay. So we may, we may need to do classes both for on-campus and separately for right. online. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to let my audience know about the SOAS Town Studies program? If you want to know more about the SOAS Taiwan Studies program, look at our website, Facebook. A lot of our events probably will still be online going into the the, um, the autumn term. And also a lot of our events um, have been recorded and put on our, uh, our YouTube um, channel. So we've probably already got about, I think, about five or six of the summer school events uh, on uh, on YouTube uh, now. Oh, great. This is a good way to encourage the listeners, if they want to know more, to go to your YouTube channel. Definitely. I think that's, that's um, look at the, um, the Rowledge Research on Taiwan Studies book series. Encourage your librarians to, um, uh, to order the um, ebook. Get the, uh, the books on, on um, uh, module reading uh, uh, lists, uh, because I think the, um, the research field on Taiwan is just so, so vibrant. Um, and now there's so much good uh, research um, out there. So it's a different kind of challenge when, let's say, uh, you or I were students, mm-hmm. when we really had to look, search hard for uh, good uh, research. Now it's almost, you kind of almost have to filter out the good and the bad mm-hmm. uh, stuff because there's just so much stuff yeah. available. If you do an Amazon search on, uh, on Taiwan, there's just so many things uh, coming up. Right which I think overall is a, is, a, um, is a good thing. And I think it's really also exciting, this development of podcasts over the last uh, uh, few years, which gives us another kind of way of kind of getting a feel of Taiwan. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedules to be on Talking Taiwan. Yes, uh, it's fantastic. Thanks for your contribution to the Taiwan Studies field, because I think I've, I've seen that you've already interviewed quite a few of the people who I really ad- admire and whose work I think is really important. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's my pleasure. You know, it's just another way for people to learn about Taiwan, and it's just my personal contribution. And, you know, I have my own reasons and my own passion for wanting to promote Taiwan. And I think, I mean, Taiwan has so many wonderful and inspiring stories, and I think that once people hear these, I think that um, we can kind of bring them uh, into uh, our world. It's, but it's just a matter of, 
of how we do that. And but it, once once they hear the stories, then hopefully they'll be hooked. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. It's really good to be connected with you. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, then. You've been listening to my interview with Dr. David Feld, the director of the SOAS Center of Talent Studies at the University of London. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Talking Taiwan publishes episodes weekly. It's thanks to the support of listeners like you that our work is made possible. You can help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. Supporters can snag a Talking Taiwan tote and be invited to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, Felicia Lin, the host of Talking Taiwan or receive advanced notifications of future guests. Support Talking Taiwan by telling a friend about us, and don't miss an episode of Talking Taiwan by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.